Golfing Union of Ireland podcast. Hello and welcome to the GUI podcast. It's been a while since our last episode, so I'm glad to be back with you. Alan Kelly here, and in this episode, we're going to reflect on the Open Championship at Royal Portrush. And we all know the story of Shane Larry's magnificent victory up on the Causeway Coast and the celebrations that ensued afterwards in Dublin and Offaly. But today I'm going to be speaking with two individuals who played a part in the Open Championship themselves. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by a man who refereed at the Open, the GOI Championships manager, Mark Worley, and we'll talk about his experiences during the week. But first, I'm delighted to have with me on the line a man with whom I've spoken to before some months ahead of the Open and I promised I would come back to him afterwards to see how he got on. John Bamber was the chairman of the Championship Committee at Royal Port Rush. Welcome back, John. How are you? Uh, I'm absolutely great and can't quite believe it's now the middle of October. Yeah, it seems like yesterday, isn't it? Uh, it's funny, we were just talking about this earlier today as we've had the, the various... Uh, uh, subsidiary discussions and meetings with the RNA and reflecting uh, on uh, the events that uh, so uh, excited us through July 2019 and the 148th Open Championship. And mm. nobody can quite believe that the event started virtually three months to today. That's incredible. I mean, looking back, your own overall impression of the week in general, is it all a bit of a blur? or Well... <laughs> The whole week really went with nearly a blur. Um, you know, I've said uh, in my conclusion to this uh, 148th Open, um, it way exceeded my expectations uh, in terms of uh, just about everything that happened at the event. And I had set a fairly high bar for what I had hoped would come out of it. But, mm. you know, that... That was capped, uh, absolutely capped by the fact that Shane Lowry on that 72nd hole, uh, to be there, to see him come home and lift the claret uh, jug was something that I will never forget. And the scenes that surrounded the 18th, mm. I know coming back from the autumn meeting at the RNA, that they themselves were staggered by what happened on that 72nd hole and the the whole of Ireland behind uh, a great champion mm. and indeed an RNA uh, ambassador uh, who came right through uh, their ranks in terms mm. of their earlier years. So uh, you couldn't have written the script. You just couldn't have written it. And uh, uh, my goodness, it still even brings a sort of tingle mm. to me now when I, when I think of standing there and being able to shake hands with a uh, what I, I believe will be a champion to go on to win a few more. Well, hopefully, hopefully so. I mean, just your, your own role, John, for the week, and you know, you're representing the golf club. What was a typical day like for you, say, starting off on the Sunday or Monday beforehand? Yeah, I mean, it, obviously we were entering into uncharted waters, and whilst I had been incredibly well briefed by Martin Slumbers and Johnny Cole Hamilton as to what would my particular role be, uh, it's really until you sort of wake up and get into it on that first Sunday before it. And uh, the day would start off and invariably we had we had early morning meetings, uh, normally around eight o'clock uh, each day. Um, that would then be followed by, uh, I suppose, what we would call as our own catch up amongst our own 
committee. That mm. would be myself with my own championship committee during the morning. Uh, I then would be required to attend a what would be called a multi-agency meeting, which was held at one o'clock every day. And then the course and review setup meeting was held uh, with Martin Slumbers and Grant Moyer mm. uh, and Clive Brown at four o'clock um, then in the afternoon. So the day and each day went in incredibly quickly uh, because of the the amount of detail and all the different aspects of the mm. event day to day. But uh, the RNA's attention to detail in running an open championship, I have been privileged to see behind the scenes, mm. to see it up close. Mm. And uh, I have to say, uh, I've been involved in business for 35 years, uh, but the way they attend to running that open championship is something to behold. It's certainly a, a slick operation. I, I was there for, for a lot of it myself. Um, yeah. I mean, the the way in which the, the event itself created an atmosphere, I mean, there was something very special about the tented village area. You know, it was quite compact. It wasn't as spread out as other open venues. But, I, you know, personally, I, I think that actually, you know, contributed to the whole sort of feel around the place. Yeah, I mean, it's um, if ever I had thought that our, that our old 17th and 18th could be turned into something quite as exciting as it was during mm. the week of that Open Championship. Yeah. Um, for many years, it had, I'm not saying been criticised, but it had been commented on that the, the last two holes at Royal Port Rush were a relatively ordinary, if still challenging, mm. but ordinary experience compared to the other 16. And in my mind, the, the old 17th and 18th becoming that tented village, an area of huge excitement, the mm. buzz around it. Uh, my goodness, they were, they were queuing 20 deep to get into the shop, uh, the bars, the, the various facilities all in that area mm. were provided an intensity uh, which, you know, when you stepped out onto the course, uh, I think it really got most of the spectators into a very positive mode and that was reflected on the whole event. I think you're mm. absolutely right in that, Alan. Yeah. It, um, it really was a wonderful place to be and the buzz that it created stimulated the event. And um, it, uh, you know, as far as I was concerned, it couldn't have worked out any better. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been to a few opens. I've been lucky enough to be to a few, and I, there are a few yeah. that you know that can actually match the atmosphere that was created there, um, o over the course of the week. I mean, just looking at the the effort that went in. I mean, looking at your uh, your course manager's blog, there was some really impressive statistics that they, you know, um, greens cutting teams racked up over two hundred kilometers every day in the eight days of of course preparation. Staff worked up to two hundred and thirty five hours for the week prior and the week week of the open. I mean, it's a huge effort and it's not just one or two individuals. There were a lot of volunteers involved from other clubs. There were a lot of volunteers from overseas from other open championship venues. Um there's a real sort of team spirit yeah. about the operation, I mean, isn't there? There was, but there was a it, it, it it also was a, was very much a what I would describe again as a there was a 32 county spirit that went into this as as all parts of of Ireland mm. and we play golf on that basis in Ireland and that's the way it came across. We had volunteers coming in 
from whether it be Donegal, we had volunteers coming in, you know, from the west, from the south, from the very south. Mm. You know, people were travelling, um, getting into their car. I met a couple of friends of mine who had driven up from Tremor, um, you know, got into their car at three o'clock in the morning and driven up because they wanted to be part of the day uh, on on the Saturday. And, uh, mm. you know, thankfully, they got probably the best day of the, of the week. Mm. But everyone wanted to have a piece of it and everybody wanted to contribute to it. Uh, and I didn't hear one word of complaint from any of those volunteers who assisted Graham Beat and his team. Mm. And all those, you know, indeed experienced green staff who come in to help, you know, I mean, this is this is done on an absolute, um, just a, a genuine offering from all of these individuals giving up their time to come and be part of uh, what, I, what I hope they all left with, which mm. was a lifetime experience that they will never forget. Yeah, of course, the same with the volunteers from the golf clubs in the area that provided volunteer yeah. stewards uh, across the, the course of the week. Um, John, getting the course back to normal, I mean, the, I, I drove past Royal Port Rush the, the day after the Open Championship finished, and yeah. I, I, I couldn't believe there were people out playing golf. Yeah, it's 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 really incredible. I mean, I I played it uh, not on the Monday after, but I played on the Tuesday, and we had our first uh, club competition designed, leaving the pins where they were for uh, the way Shane Laurie played it on the mm. Sunday, uh, and and that caused immense excitement. And if you were foolish enough, you had the opportunity to play right off the same tees as he did. <laughs> uh, so um, some of us took a more modest approach to play off our members' medal tees, yeah. which was, let me assure you, still quite challenging enough. <laughs> but um, it was it was a fabulous occasion to be able to go out two days after what is probably still the greatest golf uh, competition in the world and uh, be able to do and touch it the way the very best players in the world did so if I were to drive you down past Royal Port Rush today you genuinely and I mean this you genuinely would not know there had ever been an open championship there and that is another part of this whole process that I am so satisfied with is the fact that we have been able to now bring the club back to where it was um, with minor uh, irritation, with minor inconvenience. And to be honest, it's very hard to believe there ever was an Open there in July this year. So that's, you know, a great tribute to how... Um, you know, the RNA actually de-rigged it mm. and brought it back to where it should be. Well, look, I mean, it was an absolutely incredible sporting experience, one that I hope to experience at Royal Portrush in the not-too-distant fu- not future. I'm sure the, the club would like to see the Open return at some point. Yes, I mean, I um, you know, find this such a special occasion. Um, I mean, I've gone on public record as saying I hope that uh, we don't rush back to it. Uh, it's you know it is something very very special, and I would I would like to rebuild that excitement and that sense of anticipation and hunger. So I mean, as as I have openly said to uh, the RNA, I think um, we're now going to host a Ryder Cup 
in Ireland at Adair Manor in 2026. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be an immense year for Irish golf and, again, showing Ireland off to the world. But um, if, if I thought it was closer to sort of eight to ten years uh, in relation to... Um, Rehosting of an open, uh, I would be very satisfied, and I think the excitement at that stage would have rebuilt. Um, yes, we Royal Port Rush will host uh, another open championship, um, and uh, whilst I'll not be the chairman of the Royal Port Rush Open Championship Committee, uh, I thoroughly look forward to going along and seeing another fine championship and hopefully we'll have another Irish winner. Well, hopefully the excitement levels will be the, at the same <laughs> level they were for when Shane Lowry hold that putt on 18. John Bamber, yeah. Chairman of the Championship Committee at Royal Portrush for the Open Championship. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. From breathtaking links to picture-perfect parkland, Northern Ireland is made for golf. Our world-class fairways have grown some giants and they'll grow your game too. There's so much to explore in our corner of the earth. So come for the golf and stay for the crack, the culture and the sheer beauty of the place. You'll get a hero's welcome in our land of golfing greats. Plan your break now. Search NI Made for Golf. So Mark Worley is Championships Manager with the Golfing Union of Ireland and was instrumental in the success of the World Amateur Team Championships at Carton House last year. And he was selected to referee at the Open Championship this year and picked up some interesting groups to be involved with. Mark, how are you? I'm great, Alan. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, Mark. Um, a busy week for you at the Open Championship. Take us back to that uh, that sort of first sight of Royal Portrush as you, as you travelled in from the west of Ireland. It was, yeah, I suppose it was a surreal moment, Alan, you know, a lad from the west of Ireland uh, travelling from Sligo to Royal Portrush, a journey that I've done many times in a much more low-key fashion. Uh, and uh, I suppose coming into Portrush, the uh, vista was very similar to what it, it normally is in, in many ways with obviously the, the all the additional hullabaloo that there was around the Open Championship. So, yeah. Uh, into the car park um a very different entrance into the golf club than uh you would normally make mm. uh and definitely from the from the very start there was a very different feel to 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 Royal Port Rush um and to Port Rush itself uh than what you might normally encounter and it was just uh something that from the very start was 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 very special to to experience You've refereed at the Open before Royal Birkdale. How different an experience was it uh, back then and compared to Portrush? Well, I, I suppose on the on the one hand, uh, there was so much familiarity about uh, the venue and about um, the the location this time uh, to Royal Birkdale. I'd never been uh, to, to Royal Birkdale um, before I, I refereed in 2017 at the Open. Uh, so there was that, but also there was... Uh, similarity in another way and that uh, the show that the RNA put on um, is spectacular um, it's an incredible spectator experience um, there's something very different about it um, the sort of marriage of tradition with um, uh, the modern game uh, is really there for everybody to see and um, it, it so it brought back a lot of memories in that way but um, I suppose from the very start, going back to that Monday when I arrived, 
um, it was clear that this was going to be an open championship like no other. Um, the grandstand at the 18th green was full. Tiger Woods was just finishing his first practice round. Um, and it was it was something that seasoned open watchers were just taken aback by. So Monday then you arrive, you sort of get your bearings. You, you obviously know the place very well, so you, you're acquainted with it a lot sooner than others. But um, you head into Tuesday. What's the what's the week like then for a referee in terms of, you know, learning the course, you know, getting the, the rules right and uh, understanding what's happening for the week? So basically, I think Monday is a day where people are expected to travel and some some people, say from Asia in particular, uh, might be spending 24 hours in tra- in transit uh, to get to the Open. Um, so the referee team is, is quite an international team at the Open and uh, in that regard, I had something of a, an advantage this time around uh, in that I just had one car journey to make and I was there. Um, Tuesday is... Uh, all about sort of getting fitted out, getting uh, your equipment. Um, uh, so uniform, wh- what are you provided kind of with? Stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge operation. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the uniform operation was based um, in a, a local uh, primary school uh, in Port Rush. Uh, so I headed in there on foot. Uh, they had my measurements. Hugo Boss uniform got fitted out. Nice. Uh, yeah, it, very nice. Um, not something that I'd, I'd wear down the town, um, but nonetheless... You're not a Hugo uh, Boss man, no? Uh, n- not, not really, but nonetheless, uh, it was uh, very comfortable and uh, well to wear. So uh, got all that s- sorted out and then took a, an early opportunity to look at the golf course. So um, Tuesday is when a lot of the referees will get their first look at the course. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I went for a walk with uh, James Crampton, my counterpart in England, uh, who was learning the course for the first time. So I was able to give him some uh, uh, pointers in terms of my own experience, both as a player mm-hmm. in the North of Ireland Championship and in terms of running the Home Internationals in 2015 in Royal Portrush, the Irish Close so uh, in 2012 and that kind of thing. So from a referee's perspective, what are you guys talking about as you walk down each fairway? So we're looking really, I suppose, in the first instance for um, the distinctions of the five areas of the course under the new rules. So you have the general area, which is the fairway and the rough and and, and the, the undis- indistinguishable area, I suppose you could call it. Um, there's penalty areas, which there were very few, luckily for us, in, 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 in Portrush, um, where you may be called for rulings. Uh, bunkers as well are a separate area of the course. Uh, particularly of note, I think, during the Open is the positioning of the grandstands from a referee's point of view. Um, the grandstands are classified under the rules of golf as temporary movable obstructions. So there's quite a complicated local rule and relief procedure involving line of sight and things that we don't normally uh, encounter in amateur golf. Um, so we spend a lot of time kind of looking at that and looking at where players will be getting relief if they have relief from from those situations. And then there is all sorts of quirks that you, you look at. Um, cameras in the bunkers were, was something we were we were uh, um, keeping an eye out for this year. Um, uh, the general condition of the bunkers obviously was excellent, but just trying to find if there was an area where Say, for instance, a player might be embedded in the face of the bunker um, or not, as the case may be. Would they have 
relief in those situations. Uh, distinguishing the putting green from the from the apron is an area where a lot of rulings actually happen during the Open Championship. So it can we're be a challenge on links courses. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So nothing. I think I think we were very kind of becalmed by the fact that the golf course was set up extremely well from in terms of where all the grandstands were positioned. Um, uh, the way that the course was marked as you would expect with the RNA mm. being involved was excellent um, and also um, along the way we picked up Kevin Feeney from the European Tour um, uh, uh, somebody who uh, has similar ancestry to my own um, his father being a Sligo man um, and uh, you know Kevin's experience you mm. know in terms of being a, a, a European Tour referee for many many years uh, it really helped um not just in terms of his knowledge of the rules mm. um uh, because we we all are always learning the rules and always kind of um uh, trying to keep up to date with the rules but just in terms of his experience of dealing with the pros um something that we don't do week in week out the likes of james or myself so that was really good to get his kind of um feedback and and an input into mm. Uh, on Tuesday so we spent a lot of time with Kevin uh, discussing that and meeting players along the way mm. um, who were playing their practice rounds so it was a it was a fun experience but a very valuable one as well in terms okay. of learning the course and sort of the, the, the next day Wednesday is before you know the day before the whole thing kicks off are the, are the nerves starting to ramp up and yeah so the, the rules meeting happens on Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock bright and early and uh, uh, we, we were all um, uh, assembled at uh, Row Park in Limavady where the referees were staying uh, to get a bus at 7 o'clock and uh, the bus broke down halfway so uh, immediately panic <laughs> uh, sets in uh, there's um, a timetable that has to be kept and mm. you know we're half an hour late starting our rules meeting as a result uh, which throws everything off mm. um, but nonetheless it was a really really good rules meeting uh, very well structured David Rickman who some listeners might uh, be familiar with as sort of the, the, the head the top the man face of the, the rules yeah. absolutely the face the, the face of the rules uh, the chief referee at the open mm. um, uh, just his wealth of experience um, really comes in handy when it comes to that because he's able to to cut straight to the things that will be issues and the things that you need to concentrate on. Um, and so, th so th it was very good from that perspective. And um, uh, following that, then uh, we all split up into groups and do one final course walk. Um, so on Wednesday morning, for those who might remember being there on the final practice day, the weather was absolutely atrocious. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't very pleasant for us to, to walk around the course, uh, hole 1 to 18, and discuss the various situations. But it was instructive because the players that were practicing in that weather were hitting the ball offline a lot more than they would have been in, mm -hmm. in the nice, calm, sunny weather that they had been playing on, on Monday and Tuesday. And we were able to get a much better feel for what situations might emerge or might materialise uh, when play started on Thursday. When did you get your assignment for uh, which match you'd be with on the Thursday? Did you get that on the Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah, the, the, the assignments drop on Tuesday at lunchtime. So... Uh, that that was the assignments for the first two rounds. Mm -hmm. um, so 
from past experience of the open i had known to be checking my phone basically uh for the email to drop um uh when the assignments would come out and it was interesting because we were i think we were on the fourth hole at the time which is uh, a fantastic and very very tough golf hole and we were looking at out of bounds and we were looking at various things so there, there were several little groups of us or whatever when mm. the assignments dropped so the spectacle of about 20 referees huddled around a, a phone um was something that the spectators who were out there on the day just had no idea what we were doing, I'd say, at the time when we were looking for a So your, your assignment on Thursday then was uh, as a walking referee with Eric Van Royen, Kurt Kitayama and Jake McLeod. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, I, I was I was surprised and, and, and quite honoured, I think, that I was assigned as a walking referee on both Thursday and Friday. Um, normally at the Open, and certainly for your first Open, you would get um, a, an observer assignment for one day, which mm. would be the equivalent, I suppose, in rugby terms of a touch judge or a linesman in football or whatever, um, and then a, a referee on another day. But I was actually assigned to referee on both days, which I was uh, extremely happy about, but also felt a certain amount of responsibility. So as, as you say, I had Jake McLeod, Eric Van Royen, and Kurt Kitayama on Thursday. And then on Friday... Um, Robert McIntyre, Kyle Stanley and Andrew Johnson, who listeners will know as Beef. Uh, so I was I was very happy with those two. What was your experience with the, the players without sort of going through each ruling or whatever that had to be given? Was there any sort of standout moment in the first couple of days? You know, you're getting yourself into it. What, was there anything that helped you relax a little bit or sort of, you know? Yeah, I, I think um, first of all to say that all the players to every one of them were fantastic. They were extremely professional, uh, very courteous. Um, no matter how things were going uh, on their day, they uh, treated they treated me and they treated the rest of the team walking with the match with the utmost of respect all the time. I could not complain at all about any of their conduct. Um, in, in I suppose one incident, particularly on Friday, I was maybe a little bit tense on Friday because I had a high profile match, uh, big crowd following beef, especially, mm. but also Robert McIntyre, uh, who um, has had a fantastic season on the mm. European tour and Kyle Stanley, who's, you know, one of the established pros on, on the PGA tour. Um, but well, this uh, is the uh, the four incident, isn't it? Yeah. So so there was an un, a bit of unpleasantness towards mm. the end of the game, um, uh, which uh, wasn't very nice. Um, I think that uh, I can certainly see uh, Bob McIntyre's view in relation to his annoyance with his mm -hmm. fellow competitor not shouting for. I think the culture in America is something different, and I don't actually think that Kyle Stanley there was any malice or mm. or. Or, or disregard in his intentions but mm -hmm. you know nonetheless I think fair play to, to Robert for pointing it out to him but nonetheless uh, at the start I think for me what I'll take more than the unpleasantness at the end of that round was at the start of that round um, we were on the fourth hole uh, fourth tee and, and the fourth tee was causing uh, problems in terms of backup so generally speaking players were waiting around and I was just standing at the back of the fourth tee um, and uh, Beef is just swinging his club and uh, they're chatting about their what they did after their first round. And uh, Beef and his caddy went into Portrush and they asked for, a, they, they, they went into a, a, a coffee shop and were looking for a bit of lunch or whatever. And the waitress uh, came down to serve them. And Beef asked, you know, very quickly uh, because uh, it was a very busy restaurant mm. or whatever. He asked for two sandwiches, one toasted and one untoasted. And uh, the, the waitress looked at him with uh, 
uh, sort of a blank look and said, I'm sorry, I cannot untoast a toasted <laughs> sandwich, uh, which uh, definitely lightened the mood amongst the competitors, yeah. uh, the caddies and anybody else who was who was involved in the match. And it was it was actually up until the, the end of that match. It was a very good humoured uh, match. That's great to hear little stories like that. But I mean, for yourself, um, the highlight of your week, you weren't to know what was coming. Um, but at some point on Friday evening, you would have got that email to say you were refereeing on Saturday as a, as a walking referee again. But this time you had Gray McDowell and Bubba Watson for company. Yeah, it was it was incredible. So the assignments came in on Friday late and we were just having dinner um, uh, when we got um, the news. And so I was sitting beside uh, James Crampton uh, from England at the time and, and the assignments dropped and he got he got them before I did. And he said, oh, you've got a nice one tomorrow. And I looked at it and I was absolutely stunned. So because of where they had finished, they were playing quite early. So mm. um, it was unusual for uh, such a high profile game to emerge so early in the day. But nonetheless, they assigned me to referee and they assigned an observer with the match as well, which mm. I was really kind of honoured by the fact mm. that not only was I refereeing, but I had an observer with me who was Andrew em- Emery from Wales. And he was fantastic to work with. He took all the pressure off me completely. Um, he said, I'll call back anything that um, that might mm. look like a ruling to you and you can be prepared and all the rest. And it was a fantastic um, uh, thing to have. Um, so, yeah, it was it, 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 I, I metaphorically skipped home that evening um, and what, uh, what was it like out on the golf course? I mean, it's a two ball. It's it's Graham McDowell, who's a, a Port Rush legend. You've Bubba Watson, a major winner, and a sort of a larger than life sort of personality and aura about him. Um, the, the was there any conversation between the players, between the referees and the players? Is it all very much the players keep to themselves? So on the first on the first tee, they were they were all business. Um, the grandstand was full. The crowd was ten deep. 20 deep maybe on either side it was uh, incredible and uh, as they as they teed off and set off um, I I was on foot behind them um, just at a, at a respectable distance but I overheard Graham saying to, looking at, at, at Bob Watson and, and remarking that this felt like a Ryder Cup match um, and that that was uh, that was the extent of the atmosphere and I think Bob definitely agreed um, there was quite a lot of banter between them about turning forty um, during the during the the game. Uh, something Graham turned forty, I think, a few weeks beforehand. Didn't yeah, he? yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, it, it, but it but it, it was so it was quite good natured. Um, uh, but there were two players trying to make use of moving day as well. They were mm-hmm. both in a bit of a hurry um, uh, in 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 golfing terms to put a score on. And they were unlucky because they got the wrong side of the weather. Um, mm. It was quite windy. I mean, I think Graham hit a five iron for his third shot into the par five seventh, which later in the day was an easy reach in two mm. for the players. So they were quite unlucky in that regard. But Graham played fantastically well. He shot a 68, uh, which was a great score in the yeah. conditions and um, finished with two birdies as well. And, the you know, the reception he got up 17, 18, the atmosphere mm. was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. So you've you've refereed for three days and you got a backseat job, a Ford Observer role on on Sunday, and again two fantastic names, JB Holmes and Brooks Kepka. Yeah, so so my role on Sunday was to be observer um, in the second last match, the penultimate match uh, with Kepka and and, and JB Holmes, um, and I was. Uh, again really looking forward to um to, to the atmosphere 
um, the weather was uh, very, very challenging. And particularly JB Holmes, I think, really struggled. Um, so it created a lot mm. of rule situations uh, for myself and for the referee. Um, so I was probably a lot busier on the Sunday than mm. I had imagined, than I anticipated I would have been as the forward observer and probably busier on the Sunday than I had been for any of the three days as a referee. So that was the penultimate match, wasn't it? It was the second last match on the course. Um, the players leave the 18 green. Where do you end up? So basically, yeah, um, I, I'm forward of the referee all day. Um, so I'm, I'm keeping him apprised of where the ball finishes if there's been a ball movement in the crowd. Landing zones up around the yeah, green, all absolutely. that sort of stuff. Yeah. There, I, think, I think twice uh, JB's ball had been moved during a search um, ahead of him arriving, which I needed to assist with, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, for the entire day, I'm ahead of the referee until we get to the 18th and then you, 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 you wait with the referee at the 18th, mm-hmm. uh, shake the player's hands and go to the recording area. Um, so we we did all that. Um, I encountered Robbie Cannon, Neil Manship, all the sort of backroom team for Shane Lowry on the way into the recording area. I shook their hands briefly, gave them a little wink, and then um, uh, as soon as the recording process was finished, hot footed it over um, to an area in the grandstand where the referees were allowed to come in and stand on the mm. on the gantry to to watch the end. So you got back in time. Just in time uh, to see Shane's second shot into the 18th. Yeah. Oh, fantastic, yeah, and yeah. the rest is history, as they say. Absolutely. Uh, sum up the experience, I mean... I, without being trite, an experience that you, you just won't forget for the rest of your life. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, the job of refereeing is the same, uh, you know, anywhere in the world. I, in fact, I probably felt more nervous adjudicating on an embedded ball in the 18th hole in the Cups and Shields finals in Westport uh, than I did at any stage refereeing at the Open. But there's the, all the other stuff that goes with it. And the, the incredible learning that you're able to do by mm. being in the company of your counterparts from all over the world um, during the week is so it's just so valuable and there's so much that you take from mm-hmm. it and there's so many memories that you gain from it that it's just um, it's like nothing else basically from breathtaking links to picture perfect parkland Northern Ireland is made for golf our world class fairways have grown some giants and they'll grow your game too there's so much to explore in our corner of the earth so come for the golf and stay for the crack the culture and the sheer beauty of the place You'll get a hero's welcome in our land of golfing greats. Plan your break now. Search NI Made for Golf. The Golfing Union of Ireland podcast.